Well, to my surprise, he turned on my phone this morning, a cup of coffee at 6.30, he says, hey, you're filling in today, you're teaching. <laughs> so, I know it's going to be a very special morning. Uh, you may have gotten the email this week from Pastor Jeff. Uh, if you haven't, you definitely need to get on our, our, on our list. Uh, but God had put heavenly on his heart that there are so many wonderful testimonies of how God has worked in and through so many lives and he put out a little message today that if there were anyone that was out there that would like to share for two or three minutes in the morning here this morning, a little bit of what God has, has done in your life. So part of our morning, that's what we're going, going to be doing and talking about. And, you know, God brought to, to mind to me a little bit about, you know, church at the Red Door, especially if you're a guest here or maybe you've just been coming for a short period of time. You know, we're in the life-changing business. You know, that's, that's actually part of our mission here at the church, okay? Helping lives be changed by the power of God. And then we're going to hear some of those stories this morning. And that's, though, all that is accomplished by allowing God to work through us. Okay, you know, of all the religions that are on this planet, we're the only ones, the only one that has a being that lives inside of each and every one of us, the Holy Spirit, that works in and through us, sees everything that comes, what our eyes look at, hears what our ears hear, hear what comes out of our mouths and our actions, but we have the spirit that's on this constant, constantly moving and changing and working in each and every one of our lives. But why is so important as a church and as a church family, as you're going to hear this morning, you see, there are days when many of our friends and family and maybe yourself, you find yourself kind of like on a battlefield. You're being bombarded with what life throws at you. Sometimes you're on the defensive, you know, Maybe it's just, maybe it's been, you've been just verbally abused or there's false rumors being shed or, you know, spread around about you. Maybe your finances are just going south, you know? And there's so many people that are wounded. It's kind of like a, a mash unit, you know? They need a medic. So many of our friends, sometimes ourselves, we just need someone to come along and carry us on a stretcher, okay? We need that. But you see, the church, and sometimes we don't look at the church this way, and especially some things that happened this week, we're a mass unit, okay? We're a mass unit. We're a place that wounded people can come and they can be cared for. And we can serve those that are in need. We can help carry people through the very difficult times in life. And can I tell you all this? And I know you're all, I mean, I brag about this church all the time. They're, they're like the brightest church <laughs> that there is. And it's true. But there will come a time in all of our lives that we're going to need somebody to carry us. We're going to need somebody to carry us on a stretcher. It could be due to the loss of a loved one, which I sat beside someone this week. It could be the loss of a job. Maybe you got a marriage that's just in big trouble. Maybe one of the grandkids is on drugs. Or, as I found out yesterday from someone that's special to us, someone also got a bad medical report. But here's the issue, okay? And this is the, sometimes can be the problem with a church family. Someone has to pick up and carry the stretcher. Someone needs to care enough to grab a hold and say, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to help you. People need to know that those of us that call ourselves Christians, that we care. You know, I share this thing, it's called Don't Miss This, all right, which is up on the screen, and I'll do one or two of these in a message, and if you forget everything else I have to say today, okay, or you fall asleep or something in between, remember the Don't Miss This. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Sorry, allergies. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 10. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. In other words, people should be concerned about others and not just about themselves. Do you know what the number one reason why most Christians are not the hands and feet of Christ? Do you know why so many, well not so many, but many never bring anybody to church? Do you know why they don't necessarily always want to join a group or help volunteer in an outreach mission or something like that? And it's, I, mean, I want you to understand, it's not because bad people, okay? It's not because they're mean. Can I tell you, a lot of times we're just preoccupied. The number one reason we don't get involved with people that are around us is this, and this may sound really strong, 
you know, but we're really not that concerned for them. We're really concerned more about our ourselves. I got my problems, and I got my plans. <laughs> I got my needs, and I got my goals. I got my ambitions, my desires, my agenda. I know what I got to do today. I know what I want to do tomorrow. I know what I want to do over the weekend. And we live in a culture, okay, that it's so easy to become so self-centered, you know, where, it's, where it's all about me, all right? Because you see, the heart of the matter, it's the matter of the heart. See, if we care about stuff going on around us and about people, you become aware of what's happening. If I don't care, I'm not, I don't become aware. Do you know why sometimes we don't know the needs of our neighbor or our coworker? I know some of you may, may be hearing me for the first time, so don't throw tomatoes or anything at me, okay? I think it's sometimes we really don't care a whole lot. Because, see, if I cared, I'd be aware of what's going on. Awareness is the evidence of just caring for people. Now, let me give you an, a, a, an illustration of what I mean by this, you know. I think you've all, uh, Jeff sh uh, shared the story, I think, a few weeks back, and it's about the guy being lowered through the roof. Remember his friends? He was a paraplegic. He couldn't walk. They heard Jesus was in town, and they heard the story that Jesus is healing people. They get to the house. They can't get in, all right? And his friends start tearing the roof apart. Here's, here's what it says. But not finding, I mean, I'll read it up here, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. And they let him down through the tiles with a stretcher right into the middle of the crowd. They dropped him right in front of Jesus, okay? These are his friends. You know, when they couldn't find a way in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They removed some tile, right? They let him down in. He's at, right, in right in the middle of everybody, okay? I just want you to imagine this now. Think, imagine this. You're in, this, you're in someone's home. All of a sudden, can you imagine the noise and the mess? And all of a sudden, you're standing there, there's like drywall falling. I'm sure it wasn't drywall back then. But stuff starts falling off the roof. Things are trickling down on top of you, right? And it's this packed out audience. And all of a sudden, there's all this stuff and noises going on. And people going, what the heck's going on? And the guys on the roof out there, you know, they're lifting off tile. And they're peeking through the floor. And, I mean, peeking through the ceiling. And going, a little bit more to the left. Take off these tiles. <laughs> a little more. Oh, 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 okay. And they finally get it all set up. And they drop this. This guy right down in front of Jesus, right? And think about it. They didn't have sawzalls, okay? They didn't have any electric tools. They're doing this thing by hand. They're tearing the roof apart. They're probably tearing apart a roof of someone's home they don't even know, okay? These guys are probably destroying somebody else's roof. It would be like if next Sunday, Jeff's standing up here teaching, and all of a sudden, you're <laughs> drywall starts falling down, coming out of the ceiling because someone so desperately wants to come in and hear about Jesus, and what Jesus could do for him. Well, the story goes, I think you know it, but they let this guy down right in front of Jesus. They were going to do whatever it took to get their friend in front of him. Have you ever thought about who paid the roof repair in that story? I mean, you just wouldn't go to someone's house, would you? And tear the roof off a total stranger's house and kind of just leave it. And when I was contemplating that story, I thought to myself, you know, I think they'd probably say, you know what? We don't care what it costs. We'll pay for the repair of that roof. Yeah, I'm too concerned about my friend. I'm going to do whatever it costs me to get him in front of Jesus, whatever it costs me. So the question I want to ask you this morning, it's a question I'm going to leave you with at the end of this message. Have you ever gone through the roof for anyone? Have you ever gone through the roof for anyone? What I want to do this morning, I have a couple testimonies I know of for sure that I want to share with you of people that have gone through the roof for someone. And I want to give those of you that are sitting here today an opportunity to come on up. If you, I mean, I know standing in front of people, it's, it's, it's not easy. I, I know it isn't. Um, but, but if a couple of you have a story or two that, you know, and I don't mean anything long, all right? Hey, if you know anything about me, my messages are way shorter than Jeff's, okay? So nothing, so 
three minutes, two, three minutes, if there's something that you've gone through the roof of hurt of someone that made the difference of going through the roof of someone, I, I'd lo love for you to share it. Matter of fact, let me, let me start with a video clip here, okay, I, of, of Tom Helbling. Uh, it's just a little four-minute clip that they actually videotaped of how God made a difference, of how, how he took a situation and went through the roof for some other people. Let's let him kind of start this thing rolling. So when you guys are ready back there. Tom Helbling, and I appreciate the opportunity this morning to share my leukemia journey. I never thought I would be able to thank the Lord for the gift of leukemia, but he has shown me through miracle after miracle, he has control and is using me to be an instrument in his service. It was October 23rd, 2014, when our King Charles Spaniel Luke was out in the backyard, picked up a stick, he'd taken it into our bedroom and was shredding it on the bed when I came through and saw the mess that he was making. He had set the stick down and I decided I would grab this to keep things from getting any messier. He and I grabbed the stick at the same time and he bit my hand, punctured my hand, and then two days later, my hand was double its size and a red streak was going up my arm and off we went to the emergency room. We pulled a blood sample and the results came back. You have no white cells, no immune system to fight the dog bite. They admitted me to the hospital. Next miracle, uh, was my sister-in-law, Jean, who was a cardiology professor at the University of Washington, calls up and says, you have been accepted by the number one acute myeloid leukemia oncologist in the nation at Seattle Cancer Care. Get on an airplane and get up here as soon as possible. Flew to Seattle, went directly to the University of Washington Hospital where I was put on chemo for five days in an effort to eradicate the leukemia. In December, I returned to the hospital for a second round of chemotherapy and another bone marrow cell tap to, that revealed that the leukemia was gone, but the a second round was necessary and the long-term treatment to, or to maximize my lifespan would eventually be a bone marrow cell transplant to build a whole new immune system. The second round of chemo uh, was finished just prior to Christmas uh, in 2014. Uh, again, able to go home for Christmas. During this same time, uh, they were looking for a perfect bone marrow cell donor. was told that they would go to an international bone marrow cell registry and that with my white Northern European background, the chances of finding a perfect donor would be in the high 90%. Uh, and they came back saying, we found multiple perfect donors, but we have this one that we really want to go after turned out to be a young man named Max who lived in a small village in north central Germany. At the end of a hundred days, uh, which was a major milestone, they confirmed that uh, hundred percent engraftment. It changed my life, it changed my wife's life, our children's life, and the lives of all people around us. Uh, with the miracles that had continued to go on throughout this time. The Lord has taken over my heart and given me a whole new purpose in life. The Holy Spirit convicted me that, Tom, you are an instrument of the Holy Spirit to be used for his purposes to make a difference in other people's lives. Just trust in the Lord. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for each and everything that happens. Just give him control and see where it takes you and share your stories with people and how that has worked in your heart and, and how that can be passed on to others. Don't waste your cancer.
Wow. No, it was good. It was good. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, that's God works that way. He works in and through our illnesses, a miracle like what happened with Tom, but yet not only affected Tom, but other people. And sometimes God uses us in situations in people's lives, and sometimes it doesn't always turn out the way that we anticipated. Um, would you guys welcome Kathy? Kathy Bear, would you please come up here? Kathy has a story she wants to share. Please come on up, Kathy. You know, it's, it, it's interesting how God works in, in and through our lives. I think many of you know Kathy, but please, I know she's nervous. Let's give her a round of applause for coming up. Hello. You got to hold it like an ice cream cone. Okay. Okay. Hello, everybody. <clears throat> I think the last time I was in front of a church audience was when I was a little girl. My, my mom taught my sister and I to sing duets. And I remember about when we were nine or ten, we were in church and we sang the old rugged cross. Uh, as a duet, and uh, so that was been a long time since that time that I've been up on stage in a church. <clears throat> I'm going to, um, I knew this was going to happen today, and so uh, I was able to write out my story for two reasons. Number one, um, I think they named a doll after me at one time called Chatty Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> And I could just chat all, all day long, and so that was a good reason to write it out. My second reason is because um, tears come very easily for me. Uh, that also started as a young girl uh, when my sister and I would get in trouble, and uh, we'd be sent to our room, and my sister would scheme. She was a year older than I, and then she'd send me out to pour on the tears, and I did, I did quite well with the, the tears, hoping that we could influence our parents in a different direction. So I'm going to uh, read because it will be better for me to get, to get through it. Okay. <clears throat> There's a quote in my house. It's on a frame, and I've had it there for many years, and it says, every experience that God gives you and every person he puts into your life <clears throat> is perfect preparation for the future that only he can see. And that's really played out in my life over and over again. My first experience that I can remember was when I was seven and I was baptized. <clears throat> that moment, <clears throat> excuse me, and all the years of growing up in a loving Christian home became the building blocks for my life. God faithfully brought people who loved Jesus into my life including all of you here at our church, helping to build my faith, build my trust in Jesus. I guess the word joy really explains what to be true to me, and that is that Jesus loves me totally, and you know he loves you too, totally. Getting back to my quote, every person he puts into your life and every experience he brings brings me to a huge and profound sadness in my life. Catch my breath. It all began several years ago when we moved from Atlanta to our home in the desert. God placed us next door to a precious couple we grew to love. After the tragic death of her husband a year and a half ago, I knew God had placed my neighbor in my life to love to Jesus. She soon went to live in a beautiful assisted retirement community here in the valley. <clears throat> For many years, she was deeply troubled due to her physical, emotional, mental pain. That could not, she couldn't get a handle over it. She didn't know it, but I also knew that she was in spiritual pain and God had given her to me to love her into the kingdom. Her devoted husband had given his life to Jesus shortly before his death, but my friend showed no interest or even turned away my attempt to give her a daily devotional. So I decided right then and there that I was going to pour love all over her. You know, the kind of love Jesus pours on us. 
we became close. I took her to her doctor's appointments. We ate lunch together. And I was always ready to receive her calls to help calm her down when her anxiety and pain seemed to get the best of her. We were friends. I loved her. And she loved me. Take another deep breath. Just two weeks ago, <clears throat> she called on a late Saturday afternoon, distraught with pain, feeling she could not go on. This conversation was one of many that was the theme over the past year and a half since her husband died. I was able to empathize and encourage her to hang on until her next doctor's appointment that was coming up. As before, she seemed to calm down and was able to go to dinner. She returned about 6.30 p.m. to her room. At 7.15, an employee leaving from work saw her on the ground after she had jumped from her two-story apartment window. Donna and I received a call about 9 p.m. from her daughter and husband in Alaska asking us to go to the hospital to be with her because there was no way they could get a flight out until the next day. Her brother was on his way from Orange County. What we saw was horrific. My heart just broke as I prayed, but God, I needed more time. I wasn't finished. She still did not know how much you love her. I was crushed. How could this be? This precious woman who had no hope, no peace, no purpose, no meaning, and no joy. It was there for the taking. I was trying to pour love all over her, your love. Now she was gone. As I grieved this tragic and heartbreaking loss, her loss and mine, I was reminded by the Holy Spirit what my job really is. God did not call me to success. He called me to obedience and faithfulness. I had no control over the outcome. He also encouraged me to never give up and to keep on loving people to Jesus. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I say to you, peace be with you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Stretcher bearer. Stretcher bearer. And what's powerful, Kathy, about the obedience, we're called to do things at times and we don't see the results. Sometimes, like I said, they have things don't always turn out like we hope foresee. How about another? How about some more testimonies? Anyone else got something you want to share? Come on, it's okay. Just two, three minutes, something like that God has done in your life. Okay. We got one. You'll be next. Okay. Okay. That's my lovely wife. It's not about me, is it? Okay. Well, kind of. <laughs> When I think of stretcher bearers, I think of all of us being called to pray for people that we love that don't know Jesus yet. Mm. I was raised in a Baptist church. Um, I never remember life not going to church. I never understood what following Christ or having Jesus in your heart was. I just knew all the stuff that we did in Sunday school. When I was 15 years old, we went to a church camp up in these mountains up here. 
And uh, I responded to an altar call and walked forward and said, I accept Jesus. But I really didn't know what that meant. I was just doing what was expected at this function. The following week at our Baptist church, I did the same thing because as a Baptist, you have to get baptized. (sighs) Years later, I realized that following Jesus wasn't nearly as fun as going out with boys and doing things with your friends. And so I pretty much walked away from the church. And in that walking away, just left God behind. But I knew something was missing in my life. When my husband and I met, we mentioned God probably, you know, just a little tiny bit. But God was not part of our marriage. God was not part of our lives. And right around, I guess, we were married in 88, so probably right around 1990, I remember taking a walk with my mother. I'd been seeking kind of new age religion, and Deepak Chopra was like my idol. And I remember saying to my mom as we took this walk, I don't know. I don't even know if Jesus is real. I mean, really? Seriously? A savior? Why do we need that? You know, maybe he did exist, and maybe he was a really good guy, but I think there's other things that are going to give me hope. I remember seeing the look on her face, tears fighting back in her eyes, and knowing my mother, now when I reflect on it, I know that she went to prayer. Well, in 1997, God took me down and God got me back. And I had a true encounter with the living Jesus. And I say that that bearer, that, that person that carried my cot was my mother praying for me, praying for my salvation. So I tell that story because I think it's important that all of us know that we have loved ones that we pray for every day and we pray for their salvation and know that those prayers do not go unheard. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> and uh, just just one minute, CJ. And just to add on to that, you know, that her story, our story is the same thing. It's, you know, being a stretcher bearer is in so many different ways, and prayer is a huge one. You know, uh, this is for all of you out there who have grandkids and family members that have, have yet to become or not, or not following God or following Christ, can I leave you with this to let you know, I was 43 years old before I accepted Christ in my life. And um, be careful what you ask for in your prayers, <laughs> or you never know where God's going to take you. But I, I just, what I want to share was just bounce off what my wife just said was, what happened when I accepted Christ into my life and I went to visit my brother in North Carolina, and I walk into his church. And as I'm walking to church, similar kind of layout. And I'm walking, and people are walking up to me, and they're shaking my hand. Congratulations, congratulations. <laughs> what did they congratulate me for? They've been praying for you for five years. And that made me cry. Not total strangers were lifting me up, carrying me on the stretcher because I was in total darkness. There's so many ways to be a stretcher bearer. Okay, yeah, come on forward. CJ, I'm going to put you on hold. Brother. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. This is not nearly so much about me. The only thing I've done is let the Holy Spirit work in my life. caused me to come to care for a group of people that they're just strangers when I meet them. I have no connection to them. But I've come to be as concerned about them as human beings as I am my own life. The Lord has also blessed me in allowing my wife to participate in this ministry with me. 
This ministry involves teaching a group of men a class that is meant to train them up to be church leaders. In fact, specifically, it's meant to train them up to be church leaders in the urban church or, if you're from my era, in the slum churches, the churches in depressed economic areas that are in dire need of leadership. We lead a class that uh, between 25 and 30 men. The class is about two and a half hours a week. Uh, the strange part about it is, or in, in addition to that two and a half hours, there's about four hours of commute time because this class is given at Ironwood State Prison. We are on a level three yard. There's only four levels of security in the California State Prison System. Uh, I'm up here to present you with an opportunity to find your chance to scrape through the roof. Kind of put somebody down before Jesus. And see the joy that it brings you. In this ministry, you do see results. These men love us beyond anything we deserve. They think we walk on water just because we show up. And if we happen to bring a little biblical wisdom, well, that's just wonderful. They have great admiration for the fact that Karen and I have been married for 55 years. They, they, they did not grow up in those kinds of homes. And that is just something they have a hard time fathoming. And we make it clear that it only happened because we were committed to our Christian principles. We were committed to living as the Holy Spirit taught us to live. So I encourage you. It's a strange ministry. It takes quite a commitment. It's all day long by the time we drive out there, teach class, and come back home. Before we go out there, we're tired. We're saying, why am I doing this? And every day when we're coming home, we're saying, now we know. We know why we're doing this. We love these guys. And they love us. And, and it, 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 it never, never would have happened if we hadn't both allowed the Holy Spirit to lead us into a place that we were initially quite uncomfortable with. So I encourage you, get out of the boat. <laughs> Try to walk on water. You might be surprised. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. CJ? Um, it's hard for me to do anything in two minutes, um, but I'll, I'll try my I'll best. Three. Thank you. Okay. God is so good. Who felt that earthquake last night? <laughs> yeah. That's because the angels were up there partying. Um, so so we went to a, I went to a Bible study uh, led by Pastor Cranny and through that uh, because of their faithfulness um, uh, I, was, I was actually paralyzed in the world because of his faithfulness and to Greg Solis always just encouraging me I got to experience Jesus' love once I realized I had a purpose in life, um, God called me to FCA. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. <laughs> and he sent me to the, to the farthest soccer field away from my house. <laughs> and I am with the poor of the poor. <laughs> 
Everything that could have gone wrong leading up into this camp these past four days, everything was going wrong. But it was because it was for a divine appointment. Because I was so paralyzed in so many ways and Jesus allowed me to change my heart, he changed my heart, I got to share with a bunch of kids. Um, you guys are a part of this story because some of you guys really stepped up to send 86 kids from our local community down there. 13 of those were the kids that I personally go to every four or five times a week. Out of those 11, nine of them gave themselves to the Lord last night. And in that, one of the kids opened up because his dad beats him. <laughs> but he know, the reason he, he, he opened up is because he knows we care. I was in another group. 10 out of 10 kids are addicted to porn. They opened up because they know we care. I asked one of my kids to really open up, and he did. And he doesn't have a dad. And, he's, and I said, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to model? And he said, my chairman, Jose Valencia. He wants to be just like him. It takes a, it takes a community to do what we do. Amen. And we all have a purpose. Thank you. Yes. Like this. Thank you. Um, I was trying to figure out your stories are so complete, and my walk is kind of like Mary's. I was raised in a family that was very gracious and loving and great parents, but they said when we were adults, we would choose. And uh, growing up, I, of course, didn't know what that meant. And I, on my own, was taken to church by neighbors, uh, carrying me there. I sang in the choir. Mm -hmm. I joined the church. I joined a prayer group. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't know who I was praying to and, and didn't have a clear understanding of that. Um, as I was growing, uh, several things happened in my family that are, happen in every family. Um, my mother and her sisters all had breast cancer. My mother died when I was 16, and then my father when I was 20. And so I watched my family grow and change, and my siblings become more important, and uh, my own family with Daryl becoming very key to my development, but I still didn't know the Lord. And, uh, but family members who knew the Lord, uh, cousins and sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws saw me and watched me and they said they saw God's protection, which I, I still can't put a handle on, uh, but I do know that it's probably true because Daryl's a wonderful husband and my family is great. We have three children and very loving, but it was until I was 36 that at that time that I met the Lord. And I was involved in a church in Oregon, and I went to a women's retreat. And uh, uh, during that time, I heard a group of women talking about the challenges they had, like we're doing today. And um, uh, one had just lost a child in front of the whole family, watching them learn to ride a bike. They were in the street, and I got hit by a car. I was so heartbroken at this retreat. Those stories were going on and on, and my heart, I thought, was just melting. But God, God had a plan for me, and he met me at that retreat. And about a few hours before that event, I had written God a letter 
And I told him I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Mm. I didn't want to uh, be devoted to something I didn't know. And I had to know if he was real. And at that retreat, through my open heart with those witnesses and um, his intervention, divine intervention, uh, I became uh, a believer. And we were, all the women were on the floor of this room praying, and um, God came on me in a blanket of calm. I was, my feet were out in front of me, and he just, like a warm blanket, came on, and I recognized um, that he was real, and uh, that I was, I in my mind, I thought I was dying at that moment. I thought, all right, Lord, this is your will. I'm dying. You're real. Complete joy in that, even though there was a battle for my spirit. I could tell um, the blanket of calm went up through my body, and uh, this battle was going for my soul. And um, I thought, okay, I never factored God in. I'm going to change 180 degrees I make it, <laughs> and uh, factor him into my decisions because that's the reality. I didn't know him. Now I know he's real. And um, he got to my my chest, and that battle was going on, and all of a sudden uh, he penetrated my heart, and that white light you always hear about, all those things and happened. And at that moment, the prayer stopped, and I thought, oh my goodness, all these poor women are, are going to stop praying and I'm dead. I mean, they're going to find me just there. And I still had that awareness that presence of the Lord is death to the self. And I knew that uh, he loved me enough to show that his, he was real. And uh, the prayer stopped and I looked around and everyone was getting up. No one recognized what happened to me. It was very personal, very private. And uh, I got up and left with one of my sister-in-laws, and I said, oh, my goodness, somebody must have been praying for me. And she said, she was so surprised. She said, we all were. And uh, that's what Christians do when they bring an unbeliever to a Christian retreat. They are praying for their hearts and spirits and souls. Mm -hmm. And um, so we went to lunch after that. And uh, a woman across the table who taught precept Bible studies at my church was telling the story how her mother was saved from cancer, which is what my mother died, breast cancer. And she said she was woken up in the middle of the night and got, she was terminally ill, her mother. And uh, God came on her in a blanket of calm, starting at her toes, went up through her body. And... I just burst into tears because I recognized the truth of her story and the reality her mother was saved. And I said, well, why did God do that for your mother and not mine? And uh, so the tears, the reality. But God was teaching me right away about his sovereignty. And he came, she came around the table and hugged me and said, um, God is sovereign and he has a plan for each one of us, a beginning and and an end, and uh, not to be afraid. So when I'm telling you this story, I, I think a couple things I want you to know is that God had a divine appointment with me. He, he confirmed it with her story about how I became a believer. I I've not heard very many other people tell me that he's attached him to themselves that way, but each one of us has our own story. And um, then afterwards, my husband at that time was not a believer, so I read a book immediately, and um, it's called uh, Beloved Unbeliever. And so I recognized that my friends had carried me mm. to, to Jesus' feet, and he met me. And then um, I, I needed to learn that my journey was mine with him, my husband's journey was his with him, and beloved unbeliever is what we are to him, and he has a, he has a moment or a story with each one of us, 
And uh, the key thing to meeting the God at that moment was I had an incredible fear of death because both of my parents died so young. And I had a full family of children that I was afraid he was going to take me home and leave them without their mother. And uh, so that brought me to needing to know if he was real, to needing to know what my journey would be. And uh, my mother and her sisters all had breast cancer. I've had breast cancer, and my daughter has the same BRCA gene. And uh, just in full circle, she, he has provided for her. She works at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York and is a project manager for them, and they watch over her. Every six months, she has something, MRI or whatever it is, and uh, it's his protection over her, and she has a great great Christian heart, and um, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Hello there. There you go. I'm Emily Solis, um, Greg Solis, and Monica Solis' daughter, (laughs) and you guys are probably looking at me up here like, what is, like, she's like 14 with like tennis shoes on like what like and I know I don't have a testimony like you all you all are older and wiser than I am but hearing CJ's story inspired me because I went to the FCA camp I just got back yesterday and my sister and brother also went my brother was a huddle leader and he went a few days prior to pray because he was a huddle leader and they all just like literally like two or three days straight just like prayed for us and prepared for us to come so I already knew there was going to be a lot of impact on my life so I went and the speaker was amazing the worship was unreal and I heard a story and I shared it with my dad for like (laughs) I talked about it for like 10 hours (laughs) Not really, maybe five, but like, um, and there was a story, and there was these two people. One was lie, and one was truth, and they went skinny dipping, (laughs) and they were in the pool, and they started playing games, and they started playing Marco Polo, and then lie was like, let's play, let's play that game where we see how long we could hold our breath under the water, and truth was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. So they go one, two, three, and Truth goes underwater, Lie doesn't, Lie goes out of the pool, take Truth's clothes, <laughs> and just leaves. And Truth comes up and is like thinking he's winning, and comes up out of the water and sees that Lie's gone, and not only is he gone, but took his clothes also. And so he's like naked, <laughs> and he has to go. The first place he goes is knocks on Lie's door, and he opens the door, and and Truth's like, "Give me my clothes, bro! Like, why'd you why'd you leave?" And and Lies like, "I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like, I've just been watching movies all night." And like Truth's like, "You're wearing my clothes. Like, <laughs> what are you saying right now?" And so this fight is brought onto the street. All the neighbors are around watching it, and. All the neighbors have to think, are they going to believe lie in truth's clothing? Or are they going to believe the naked truth? And that's just like, I know it's like a silly story, but like, <laughs> but it just really hit me because like being my age, it could be really tough. And I've been brought up in a Christian home and I've loved Jesus for as long as I could remember, but obviously like it's hard being my age and I've been led astray and I've been separated for God from God for a little bit but like being at camp and like no being explained that although sin looks good and it feels good and it's fun it's not like in the devil will lead you to a certain point and then they just said like they, he makes it seem good and good and good, and then he just leaves you, like, on the street being a bum. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so I just really had an epiphany at camp that Jesus is the way, mm-hmm. and 
he is the naked truth, and not a lot of people will believe it, but yeah, I do, so. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, please, please. Probably best to go up the side because all the cords and okay. Did she motivate you to say something? Okay. okay. I'm so proud of her. M, awesome. <laughs> this is nothing to do with family, but I was sitting there thinking, well, who were some. Um, what did you call it? Stretcher people. Stretcher. People are, yeah, people got to carry. And yeah. I had an incident in my life that happened when my kids were very young, a year. My daughter was a year and a half, and Josiah was like four. And um, my back, every year faithfully would go out, just like, and I'd be bedridden for three days, faithfully every year. Well, this time it happened. And I was in bed for three months, and it was a horrific, painful time in my life. And I was just devastated. And, of course, in that time, I had two little kids to raise, and I was just absolutely, I, I was like, God, what did I do? I went through so many phases in this time of my life questioning, did I do something to offend you, God? And, God, I know you're a miraculous God. Why have you allowed this? At that time in my life, I was doing everything you can imagine in ministry. I was um, leading worship on Wednesday nights. I was filling in on Sunday morning services. I was going, I was in a band and going to the bass and singing every Sunday night. I was a core leader at CBS. I led worship for CBS. I mean, I was doing all this together. And I just couldn't imagine why God was allowing this to happen to me. So in that time that I was bedridden, literally Michael would put, me out on a pallet outside just so I could be outside and put my, the phone and everything at, at a, a reach and then he'd go to work and I had a lot of time to talk to my father I mean talk about slowing me down and that's what he showed me in that time was that I was going so fast and doing so much for him but I wasn't listening to him I was so disconnected from him and we could be so involved in activity that is good but if we're not listening to him and really um, following direction so in that time God was so good he brought friends brothers and sisters and they were my um, stretcher, bearer. stretcher bearers they would come with messages um, I had a friend of mine come and read out of the word for hours I had girlfriends bringing food and then ministering to me I had um, friends bringing their daughters over to watch my kids in the evening and the body of Christ just rallied around me and God used them and in that time I was um, questioning doctrine that I had believed and God used this time in my life and it was an amazing epoch in my walk so to so in that time I went to to I was going to all kinds of doctors on medication, going to chiropractors, everything you can imagine. And I was, I was in so much pain that I'd stand for one hour, and it felt like my leg was on fire. I'm sorry, for one minute. If I just stood for one minute, it felt like my leg was on fire. And it was the most painful time in my life. But And no one could help me. I mean, no medication, no chiropractor, no doctor. And so one day... I, well, I went to, to get an MRI, and they said, Stacy, you are so herniated. Usually five and under will work with you through therapy, but you're a 12, and you need back surgery. And so I was devastated because I had a friend who was a pastor's wife who just went through that, and she was bedridden for six months. So, And I knew I couldn't do that with my kids. So I cried out to the Lord, and I went. One day I got desperate. And I went outside, put my tennis shoes on by faith, and truly fearful, if you can imagine, and just marched around the house seven times like Joshua at Jericho, and just, Lord, I'm here for a miracle. I'm here. I know you can do a miracle. I know you're a God of miracles. 
And miraculously, when I got done, I didn't feel like my leg was going to fall off. I was okay. So the next day I woke up, and I put my shoes on, and I went this way a little bit down my street, and this way, didn't stray too far from home, but just kind of baby steps. And by the third day, I was going all the way up the hill, and I called it my miracle mile because I was just crying out to God and praying in that time. After three days, I was up doing my normal housework, and everything was looking really good. And But that miracle mile was my lifeline. I knew that I had to spend that time with God. And it, that's truly what he ordained this time for, was for me to reconnect with him and to truly learn how to go back to him and to seek everything from him and not find my fulfillment and all this stuff that I was doing. So at that time, he spoke to my heart and he said, Stacy, if you will back up all your medication and just look to me, I will heal every facet, not just physically, but I'll heal spiritually, emotionally, physically, I will heal you. And so I did. And I mean, he miraculously healed me. Six months I walked in this healing, and it was awesome. And he showed me all kinds of things. He showed me that some false doctrine, that I had ideas about who he was. He showed me that, you know, I would fear, oh, God, what if I stubble on a pebble and my back goes out and ruptures like they told me at the MRI place, and they'd have to do emergency surgery. And he just showed me, I'm, you're in the palm of my hand, Stacy. Nothing can touch you without going through me. And... Um, just all kinds of beautiful revelations of who he was. But six months later, I felt a catch in my back, and then, like, fear, just panic just struck me. And I remember looking in the, in the um, mirror and going, God, if you see fit to allow me to go through that again, so be it, because you know what I need far more than what I think I need. And what you have taught me in this year about who you are and all that you have done in my heart, I trust you. And I walked out the door, and I just started praising him. Thank you, God, that your plan is for good and not of evil. I praise you, God. I worship you. By the time I came back, it was gone. And I've never had to deal with any kind of back issues ever again. And I do everything under the sun. Now, it's awesome. The healing part is awesome. But my biggest epiphany that I came out of that was that I don't have to ever fear, mm. ever. No matter what I go through, God has a beautiful plan. And I truly meant it when I said, if you see fit for me to suffer again, <laughs> who likes to suffer, right? But the payoff of what he did was so much greater and so that is my true treasure that I got out of that time is that there's nothing I have to fear. No matter how ugly it looks, God is doing something beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Not only that one. You know, I mean, we've heard all different stories this morning. I have this car closing and be like Pastor Jeff. Um, so... Um, Look, at there's, can I tell you, there's always a cost to serve God, all right? Can I encourage you? There always is. Sometimes it's a cost in time. Sometimes it's a cost in money, energy, effort. But you heard some stories today where the sacrifice is well worth it. The sacrifice when you see the movement of God in your life, when you're willing to be obedient and just step out and do what he's asked you to do, when he asks you to grab a hold of a stretcher that maybe you don't want to grab a, grab a hold of, you know? William Templeton made this statement. I was going to leave you this statement. It says, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of the non-member. Did you put that up on the screen? Because that's a good one. I should get paid for this because that's really good. Okay, but, but it is. Remember what Jesus said. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So just to thank everyone for all that you have done today. And I just want to encourage everybody, what a final, don't miss this. There are paralyzed people all around you. They're all around you. And you have the hope of the world. You have it in your hands. It doesn't have to be a theological knowledge. It has to be your hands and your feet. People, people will know your love by the way that you care for them. Your Jesus will come out through you in that. 
So what we're going to do this morning as we close, uh, we're all going to stand a minute and we're going to sing a final song together. But we're going to have also communion, all right? And we're going to do it right here in the room. You don't have to go upstairs or anything. We're going to, we're experimenting, <laughs> okay? And uh, it should only take 10 minutes. But what I want to say to everyone, if, if you're new to this, if you're new to the faith, okay, um, you know, this is just something that as believers we do, what it represents for us. Um, please, you don't need to leave. You're certainly welcome to stay. Some of you got lunches you got to go to and all that. That's fine. We understand. We'll give you the opportunity just a minute to get up and go. Uh, but those of you that want to stay, just encourage you, just, just hang here. They're going to pass out the elements to you, and we'll be a short five minutes, maybe ten minutes, and, and uh, we'll break bread together, okay? All right, so let me have you just stand, and let's sing into our last song. And, and uh, Thomas and the other team, you guys can come on up and get ready up here. That would be great.